All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Serendipity Soundtrack with Remy Storak. And today we have Chris Good, who is in Mongolia right now. So we're officially international podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, Chris, we have connected a long time ago. You got one of the coolest stories ever. I'm so glad we reconnected. You're now a breakup coach and hypnotherapist. And so I'm incredibly excited to get into this. Um, but yeah, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's funny reconnecting uh, across the world, literally. Literally. You are literally a, a day in the future right now. But yes. uh, in the spirit of serendipities, my intro question has got to be like, what has been the unfolding of your life that has serendipitously equipped you to be the man who can help equip people out of breakups? One of the hardest things that we experience. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'd have if I was to really go back to the thing that was the, the linchpin of my journey unfolding, it would have been when my mom passed away back in 2012, I was going to school at the time and it just uh, completely blindsided me. It was totally unexpected. Although she was living a lifestyle that lent her to that possibility due to drugs and alcohol and uh she was like a cat she had like nine lives she had times before where she was like yeah like where she got close to um to passing away and then unfortunately uh that time i just remember driving home uh for like christmas break and my aunt calls me she's like your sister has something really important to you uh that she needs to talk about and then i get to my sister's place and she's like look you're you know our mom passed away at like three o'clock or something this uh, afternoon and she didn't make it and it was like I was like oh my goodness it just hit me I was kind of shocked and I just remember going upstairs and just weeping and uh that just led to this different approach because at the time I was really dealing with my difficulty in uh, like a very narrow lens which was predominantly through my faith but I felt that it was lacking um, in other ways. And that's not dogging on my faith. I just started exploring other things like philosophy and psychology and you know, spending time like figuring out like, why do I feel so depressed? Or, you know, why do I like, why are my emotions so all over the place? And as I went through that process of self-discovery and understanding it really helped me with things like emotional regulation and stuff like attachment style and just becoming a more solid person where I wasn't so moved by things and a lot more insightful as to what was going on, a lot more self-aware. And that just put me in a place where I wanted to start helping other people because as I realized like, Oh my gosh, as I do these things, I, I see how much better I feel. I see how much less affected I am. Um, and that, you know, as you can imagine, you know, having a mother who had like drug and alcohol issues, it really affected my relationship with women. I struggled with being very trusting um, towards women and uh, she left me. My, my mom left me when I was a kid uh, and that also had a huge impact. So all of those things combined and just the process of like self-discovery, understanding, and then taking action to change those patterns really brought me to where I am today. 
Yeah, that just seems to be the true maturity when it's like I have come to somewhere that it's actually value. I kind of got to pay it forward, right? Yeah. But it, in the spirit of, yeah, breaking up to take it upon yourself to be like, oh, I want to dabble in, yeah, one of the most fundamental, whether it's betrayal or abandonment, like I want to sit with people who feel like this deep, deep pain and I have found the way out. Like what brought you to be like, I want to be this man? Great question. So I think just the fact that I early on in my romantic relationships, I had such a difficult time when it came to um, letting go. I, I was actually at one point in my life diagnosed with something called borderline personality disorder. And it gets a really bad rap because you usually see the worst, uh, the worst possible like cases, you know, and, and it can, it's a spectrum, you know, you have like narcissism, you know, so everybody has a little bit of narcissism, but on, you know, well, you know, unless you're a saint <laughs> on yeah. the other side, like you've got people who struggle with severe narcissistic personality disorder and it's absolutely crippling and very toxic and antisocial. And when it comes to, um, when it comes to like borderline personality disorder, often it's like, a, you know, a huge fear of abandonment. Um, emotions are all over the place. You know, they struggle with uh, depression and things of that nature. And for me, uh, I just, as I worked on that, I got a lot better to the point where it's, you know, it's not something that I would say dominates my personality. It's not even something that I'm, I'm diagnosed as anymore. But at that time, you know, and it would suck when, a relationship would end and it felt like my world was just crumbling. And that probably was attached to having my mom leave me when I was, I'd say like a 11, 11 years old, you know, yeah. it's just like a very devastating experience. And I know not everyone experiences a relationship ending at that level of like pain, but I, you know, people still suffer. And I know that with the right perspective, the right mindset, the right tools, people can rapidly recover from breakups. People can also not experience the level of pain that or suffering that comes with it if they know what to do. So, yeah. yeah. Well, pain demands to be felt, doesn't it? But yeah. uh, we ha people have this wonderful tendency to want to avoid that by all means necessary, right? Um, yeah. I think that really uh, prolongs people's breakup pains because there's, okay, I here's the part that I played in this thing not working out. And so as if a relationship is sustained goodness, to have that totally shatter all of a sudden, then it's like, okay, well, what is goodness at all per se? And you kind of have to redefine that, right? And so mm -hmm. as you're expressing... Uh, BPD, like you kind of have to totally recalibrate, like the ownership of your character. Like, what did that look like? Great question. I would say that, you know, a lot of it took just taking responsibility over my own experience. I look at uh, I, an analogy I tend to use with clients that I work with is this idea that, you know, we, we each have our own garden to tend to. And we can get caught up looking at what other people are doing in their garden. You know, maybe they were 
better equipped than us. Maybe they have, uh, you know, better tools. But you, you know, you're dealt the hand of cards that you're dealt. And the best thing that you can do is try to play those cards in the most favorable way possible. And so, you know, if you're just stuck with a, a shovel and your hands, like, get to work and, and do what's necessary, and, and maybe you can change things. Maybe you can upgrade to some more advanced equipment. Maybe you can get, maybe you can get help. But you also need to be the one that knows, like, this is my garden. And even if somebody else comes in, like, this is my responsibility. And that also goes to the thing where sometimes people get, you know, I, how many people have experienced this where you love helping people, but you're the one suffering. Mm. And that's where I say it's like you have to work on your problems before you go and work on the problems of others. It's the same kind of trope when it's like you're in the airplane. You have to put your oxygen mask on first before you go and start placing on other people. And it's like, yes, I know you want to help, but help, helping people can also be another way of avoiding your own pain. Absolutely. That's a, uh, I would consider that, I don't, maybe sinister is the wrong word, but sinister servitude in like, oh, but I'm being a good person, but you're not being good to yourself. So at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I can offer you a little bit of a lifeline, but I'm losing my own at the same time. It's like time yeah. is precious, man. Like yeah. if you want to be the ultimate example, then you got to be thriving first. And so to exactly, yeah, own that and have to redefine thriving in the midst of like, oh, well, clearly post breakup, it doesn't feel like that situation at all. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd love to hear if you have like a cool transformation story from your clients of yeah, where, what it was and what it came to be. Yeah. Uh, so I actually, the thing that I do is something known as advanced conversational hypnosis. And it's really unique because uh, a lot of people approach therapy and hypnotherapy and coaching using uh, cookie cutter strategies and tools. And the, the, I'm not saying anything bad about those, you know, it's like, like whether it's inner child or shadow work or, you know, pat, like, like regression therapy, where you're focused on somebody's past and bringing them back into that experience. The problem is, is that people should be dealt with individually, and they should be dealt with in real time. And with advanced conversational hypnosis, I'm able to allow somebody to experience unconscious moments where I'm talking with them and they might like wince or they might start expressing an emotion. And I'm sure you've seen this. I'm sure everyone knows what I'm talking about. You've probably felt it where you're having a conversation, somebody says something or you say something, a thought comes up and you, you're struck with a, a bit of emotion and then you just try to gloss right over it. That's an mm -hmm. unconscious moment. And by bringing someone's attention to it, I can bring it to the surface. And that's how I get people unstuck. And so to, you know, share my example with you, I was working with a client and he had gotten, uh, it, the relationship ending was his fault and he recognized that. And he came to me and he was in this place where he wanted to get his ex back. Um, but he also wanted to move on. So he's dealing with those conflicting emotions. He was working on himself. But he realized that he was working on himself in order to get her back. And within a single session of us working together, we were able to 
take him from a place where he was just stuck on her and feeling this enormous amount of anxiety to feeling completely okay about the situation and saying he actually felt bad for her because he told her like, please stick with me. Like I'm going to change. I promise that. And he knew he was going to change. He made a decision that he was going to change and he was putting in the, the effort and taking the action to change. But he became accepting of the fact that she wasn't willing to come back to him. He felt bad that she was going to miss out on the person that he was going to become. He used the term, uh, I believe, like a an increasing asset. I think it's like a real estate term because that's what he he works in. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm a, he's like, I'm an increasing asset. You know, like I'm increasing in value as a person. And he he felt excited about the next person that he would be with uh, because this person should be getting the best version of himself and. And I asked him the the question at the end. I was like, "Well, what if your ex does come back?" And he's like, "Well, you know, she'll have to she'll have to meet my standards because I'm just I'm not going to just take her back. Uh, I want to like I know that I have problems in the relationship with jealousy and insecurity and stuff, but there was also problems on her side too, and she needs to change as well in order for this to ever be a thing. And you know, this was a couple they were thinking about getting married and having a family and everything. So it was very serious, but it was just amazing to see him experience this all within like an hour and 15 minutes of just having a comp, what seemed like a conversation, but was me being very careful and attentive to what he was saying and what he was feeling and what he was showing. And his life is completely transformed. I mean, he's, probably had the most successful year to date, like with his real estate career. I think he sold like a $4 million commercial real estate, like right, like shortly after we had done our session together and everything. So absolutely incredible stuff. Yeah. Man, uh, that's such a radical transformation. That's one session. Yeah. One session. Well, I don't want to say it's a bad business model, but <laughs> you're too efficient. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of an incredible, uh, I don't want to say burden, but uh, man, as soon as you do take ownership, it doesn't have to be a long process. And that is an incredible testament, um, but also an appreciating asset. That's a wonderful way to put it because yeah, that's it. It's such an intangible thing to say, like, I, as a man, am valuable. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm trustworthy. I'm well, all these things that, like, well, it's not a, a number figure. It's a trust thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I, I believe that you are going to be valuable. But you can't, you kind of have to, like, stress test that into the future, right? And so there has to be, like, a conviction that comes with that. And so uh, in the essence of, you know, coming back from breakups you probably have to help people feel exceptional right so how do you help redefine people on their individual levels to like be back in touch with that they are exceptional people and can become exceptional if they don't feel that yeah um errors in thinking when somebody does not see the the enormous potential that's just wrapped up in every living person because we really have no idea how great we can become. We we have no idea. 
and you know people walk around like you know like little prophets just declaring like this is how things are going to be and it's just like but how do you really know that like how do you know that you can't be you know like better or that you know that you can't completely transform your life and you know what i find is that people don't always need the like we know the things that we need to do and we know the things that we need to stop doing it's like more often than not people just need to be able to see the way that they're thinking and like what they're feeling and get in touch with those with those experiences so that way they can start to to change because it it becomes so automatic you don't even realize that you're creating these like self-defeating thought patterns um I was just going to add, like, there's a, there's this idea, it's a biblical idea. You think of like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And I think somebody, there's an author, I don't remember his name or her name, but they coined the term the winner effect. And it's this notion that confidence and self-belief can beget more confidence and self-belief. So a small win can turn into you know, a bigger win and a bigger win and a bigger win, but also the same is true with losses. And the way that we frame our experience can often lend to that upward spiral or downward spiral. And so somebody could come out of a relationship, uh, you know, a breakup, and it could be pretty bad and they could look at it as a loss. And that could lend them to coping with their pain by using you know, drugs and alcohol, or they could just throw themselves into video games or just anything to avoid experiencing the pain. Or the person could take some time and they could reflect and they could see like, you know, while this is certainly a painful experience and this is not the way that I would have liked things to go, there's so much that I could learn from this. And I know that I'm not starting from scratch. I'm starting from experience. And so I can take this newfound wisdom, these new learnings into the next relationship. And it's going to be that much more better. And it's going to have that much more greater possibility of succeeding because of the things that I've learned from this. And that's really the difference between somebody who's throwing themselves into the throngs of a downward spiral versus the, the, you know, the, uh, you know, uplifting of, a of an upward spiral. Definitely. Yeah. That touches on a really, uh, something I'm quite convicted about that you can shout affirmations in the mirror all you want, but at the end of the day, you have to deal with the real fundamental truth of your experience. And so you also have to create like a stack of wins. It doesn't matter if it's like small incremental, but as long as you can define it as a win, that is like the dopamine. It's like you can create momentum in that. But if you're creating Mm -hmm. goals that are so profound and out of touch, by definition, you're out of touch with winning, right? Yeah. And so uh, that kind of ties in really wonderfully because not just like speaking affirmations, but creating real truths And you seem to have a far more tangible approach on hypnotherapy where I think even myself, when I've heard that before, it seems like you kind of say, I want this. And you close your eyes and like surrender to whatever belief that you kind of bestow in me. It's like, God, I hope it's 
uh, authentic, you know, but, <laughs> but to have it more of a, um, a proactive dialogue that the person mm-hmm. has ownership at the same time. But in the, in the light of the fact that I'm sure other people will still have skepticism on hypnotherapy, like, what would you want to say to that? Well, you know, when it comes to hypnotherapy, I think the skepticism comes with the, the semantics, just the word itself and the connotations that, you know, people put on that word. You know, we, we have like, so there's so many movies that put hypnosis in a bad light, but it's really a very natural state of consciousness, a trance-like state that we experience every day. Everyone goes through it. Uh, you've experienced it when you're watching a movie and you get lost into the movie. You're actually feeling the emotion. You're experiencing what the character is experiencing. So you're in a trance-like state. It's very unconscious. You know, are you making your emotions come up? No, they're arising within you. And so that's hypnotic. The same thing happens when you are just waking up and just going to sleep. You know, if you've ever had that kind of weird semi-dream state where you're kind of falling asleep, but then you wake up, like, that's you're in a hypnotic state. You're totally in a hypnotic state. And it's when somebody gets drawn inward, that's when that's when they're generally in that trance. And I can, you know, I can show you right now, give you a little appetizer. It's like right now you're paying attention to the sound of my voice. Um, you know, if you're watching this, you, you can see me on the screen, but what you're probably not doing is paying attention to the way that your feet feel on the ground. But now that I brought your attention to that, you notice it and you could draw your attention away from it. But it's going to be, it's probably going to be difficult. And the more that you try, the more you start to feel your feet even more. Maybe the separation of your toes. If you're wearing socks, you might feel those or your shoes. And I'm not doing anything that's like, it's not mind control. If you're a, a, you know, a regular practitioner of meditation, you could easily overcome uh, those kind of, uh, you know, don't think of the pink polar bear type deal. Uh, but it's more of just me guiding your attention towards things that lie outside of your awareness. You know, you don't think of, Oh, go ahead. No, I'll keep going. I'm just, yeah. I'm I, was getting... saying, <laughs> yeah I was saying like, you know, like you don't think about the way that your clothes feel on your body. But now that I said that, guess what you're thinking about? Oh, wow. Like, you know, is this comfortable? Do I like this? Or in the same thing goes with your emotions. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like somebody will express an emotion while I'm having a conversation with them. And maybe it's a question of like, well, what's keeping you from moving on from your ex? Like what's keeping you from just saying I'm done and not feeling any pain anymore. And they might sit there for a moment. They're, they're starting to think and they're reflecting, they're introspecting. And all of a sudden I see their face wince. I'm like, what's that? What just happened there? I'm like, well, I was just thinking of a time when, you know, my my dad said that I would never find someone, that I'd always be alone. I'm like, oh, really? Tell me about that. And then all of a sudden, we're 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 essentially dealing with something that in Jungian psychology they call it a complex, uh, in like. Eastern spirituality, particularly Hinduism, there's like a thing called a samskara. It's like a mental impression. It's this sort of mix of 
memory and emotion, and it can create some problematic self-sabotaging behavior. It can cause us to be stuck. If you look in modern cognitive science, there's a term called parasitic thinking, which is very well expressed in um, depression. There's a thing called the triad of depression, and there's these three beliefs. Uh, the belief that the world is a dark place, um, that that you have a terrible view of yourself, you know, you don't think that you're worth loving, and that the future is hopeless. And these three beliefs interplay on each other, so they keep you stuck. And so as we dig into the unconscious and we unravel those things, we unravel what I like to call psychological knot, it frees the person. And once you remove that resistance, then it's just like, oh, wait a second, I don't, like, why do I need to feel this way? Like, where, you know, why am I so attached to this person? Can love manifest in another person at another time in another place for me? Yeah. Okay. Um, the way that you explain that, they're all like, oh, I'm getting excited because I'm understanding it almost as like a, an emotional flow state that you can offer somebody. Because when you explained it as a movie, it's like, okay, I'm going to go pay $20 to go watch a horror movie and I want to simulate terror. I'm going to pay for that. You know, but I want it, I want it to be believable too. I don't want it to be like, oh, some pathetic, like little unbelievable demon where you can see him coming. It's like, no, I want you mm -hmm. to shock me to like the genuinely bring suspense into my body. Um, yeah, but to you willingly believe those things and you enter an experience, but you kind of get like smoothed into it, right? You kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, here's this main character. Do I even care about them? Oh, they're kind of lovable. I care about their well-being now. So, oh, I'm scared on their behalf. And we kind of like empathize into their terror in an essence. But on top of that, um, as I'm clearly Mr. Gratitude with my gratitude book, and I'm trying to uh, tangibly sell that to people in a sense of how to know if you're not grateful is like you can write a couple things down on a piece of paper, but if you're not over whelming yourself with a sense of like, I'm, I'm fucking lucky. Things are pretty good, man. Mm -hmm. And to offer that to yourself, to give yourself an emotional handout and to hypnotize yourself into dude, I'm, I'm going to be okay. You know, to offer yeah. that to yourself, but for you to have that uh, ability to, yeah, walk somebody into their own wellness and be like, yeah, dude, you are totally capable, deserving of good things they're on their way and uh like you can enact that into the world that's freaking cool um but yeah to to tear down the hypnotic uh i'll edit this out i'm blanking <laughs> um, so, like the hypnotic resistance or the you know like usually when somebody asks that question what they're referring to is this idea that like people experience some defense, like defense mechanisms. And, and, and it really has to do with the ego. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's the preservation of the symbol of self. Yeah. And when you tell somebody this is what you need to believe or like, you, have you ever had someone tell you like, you need to start going to the gym or you need to start doing that or this? And what do you feel? Like, eh. Yeah. Lack of ownership. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a resistance there because it, one, it doesn't, it doesn't match the way that we unconsciously see ourselves, you know, which is, you know, the, it's not relatable to the, the identity of the person at the moment, kind of like the affirmation problem that you mentioned, you know, it's like, you're saying, Oh, I'm, I'm great. I'm rich. I'm powerful. And there's this part of you that's like, no, you're not like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, yeah, <laughs> you're so far from that. Yeah. Um, and I'm just imagining too, with like a hypnotic state, you can almost be okay. You absolutely can be um, compelled to keep your sorrow in a sense, because you can get comfortable in that as well. And so if somebody's reluctant to like surrender to the hypnotic possibility of, Oh, I could actually feel hope again, but then I have to do something about it. That means in going, doing the scary thing. Right. And so yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a calling that comes with it because it's like, okay, if I actually want this to be, you know, a profitable experience emotionally, then I can't just mm -hmm. sit here and be like, Oh, thanks dude. You made me feel better. So no, I got to go be the man who goes and like lives the life that he's trying to dream up. Right. You just like, yeah. you can offer the state that makes that feel, um, yeah, not stressless per se, but very reasonable and uh, tangible, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting because generally speaking, like, Somebody will come to me and they'll, you know, like, I, I need to get over a breakup. And it's like, that's, that's not actually the problem. You, that's the problem that you think it is. That's how it's manifested itself. Mm. That's clearly the thing that's most obvious or salient at the moment, but that's not the actual problem. And what happens is when you dig deep, you start to see these things where somebody's like, well, that means I have to take action in order to, you know, it's like, well, what's keeping you from taking action? Well, that's going to be really uncomfortable. Well, what makes that a problem? And then you start to realize that they have an aversion to working through discomfort or pain. Where did that come from? And as you start digging deeper and deeper, you get to the core issue. And after every client I work with, like I'm always looking for a visceral, physical, body felt response from them. Like they should feel a sense of openness. They should feel a sense of hope. Uh, they should feel a sense of excitement for the future. And when I ask them what's the problem, they should be, they ideally they're going to be like, well, actually is there, there is no problem. Mm. There's not a problem at all. You know, and if, if they do say something, that means we just have to spend a little bit more time digging through it. Yeah. Um, and I guess everybody's coming into relationships with their best foot forward and, you know, love such a, an impossible thing to define in a sense, but people are, I feel it, you know, and, yeah. but then it can be muddied with the insecurities and, you know, if they can still be entirely convinced that they are in a loving relationship, but you may have had some clients where you're like that pff, wasn't even close to love and you'd have to kind of almost reestablish what goodness can actually be. Have you been experiencing that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially with my clients that deal with narcissistic partners, which usually requires a little bit more work uh, just because uh, narcissists are 
narcissistic people with narcissistic tendencies are usually notorious for they're they almost do in a sense kind of the same thing that i'm doing but it's it's like malevolent like they're they're putting a person into a trance-like state and you know an example is like they love bomb the heck out of a person Mm -hmm. feels good feels good and what ends up happening is a person develops a they lock into an idea of what that person's like. And once the person with the narcissistic eh, once the person with the narcissistic tendencies shows their true face and their true colors, what ends up happening is uh they're the person's in a state of denial. They can't accept that this person's that way. So they try to make other explanations. Well, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I did this. Maybe I upset them in some way. And so that's what ends up causing a person to really get stuck. And I remember I had a client who she was dating this, she was dating this guy, you know, like just definitely narcissistic in so many ways gaslighting her treating her terribly and stuff and uh she's like but he's really cool and i was like is it cool for a guy to invalidate you to lie to you to um you know she she didn't find out that he was living with his ex for two years until or, or his ex of 10 years until two years into their relationship i was like oh my gosh you know like and 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 i look i know people listening like what the heck like come on it's like it's a lot easier to judge on the outside looking in because you're not swimming in the water of their experience that's why it's so much easier to offer advice to somebody even if we're struggling with it and they actually are able to take it and use it and succeed with it but here you are feeling like a hypocrite because you're still stuck in your problem because you swim in the waters of your own experience, but you know you stand at the dock of someone else's. Ooh, I like that. Uh, as I haven't personally, maybe on outside of a relationship level, uh, experienced the whole narcissism thing. Uh, but one of the coolest explanations I ever heard was totally like a, a side-winded. Uh, like Jordan Peterson round circle and the Exodus thing when they were breaking mm. down. Uh, was it one of the commandments that do not use God's name in vain, but it's like, okay, don't swear, but they broke it down to don't fabricate God's voice and use it as if it's yours. And so to say that like, Oh, God wants me to be this person for you. And so you're kind of giving your authority. Like I am now God himself. I'm the one with the voice. And so that's narcissism as if, oh, I actually know exactly what God wants. So therefore I'm bestowing you goodness, no matter what it is. And so yeah. that's like the gaslighting power. It's like, how could you possibly think that you're in the right here? Like I have this like higher wisdom, essentially, like it's infallible, yeah. like don't challenge yeah. me. And so there's just like such a next level. Uh, yeah. Like, let's just say. That's deep. Yeah. yeah Eight that. uh uh, unchallengeable power that just comes with it and then it's like well pff, can't really move them i might as well work around them instead and you kind of start complying with that and it's like a slippery slope to creating that normalcy of like man how did we get here right and so that's again it's like easy to see it from the outside 
but mm-hmm. it's like this slow little incremental chips that kind of like allow somebody to have their little godlike power over somebody and still call it love, which is bananas from the outside yeah. looking in. But that just kind of speaks yeah. to like how desperate and uh, fundamental love is for our experience. And that's so like you are carrying a, a heavy weight of putting yourself in this arena to help people recalibrate love. Right. So yeah, when it comes to reestablishing a good relationship, do you have a story of somebody who had no touch of goodness whatsoever and had to like, who kind of started to fundamentally experience it for the first time? I, I can't really speak on any clients because generally I'm helping them to exit the enormous pain that can come mm-hmm. with a breakup. But I can speak oh, yeah. for myself. Definitely. I can definitely speak for myself. So I actually did personally experience a narcissistic relationship. It was awful. The whole gaslighting, the, you know, const- like I would come home constantly being accused of lying and cheating and doing all these terrible things when the, the irony of it was the person accusing me of these things was actually the one doing them. And it was very, it was very damaging to my psyche, very damaging. And I just remember, uh, you know, getting to a place of feeling so depressed, um, you know, even suicidal. I, I was just like, I was really thinking about, it. I was like, I just don't want to live anymore. And uh, I found myself in, this was also somewhat of a linchpin for me in life because I, I was really introduced into the stoic philosophy or this is when I really took a deep dive into it. And, um, you know, the, the ancient stoics were incredible when it came to emotional regulation and putting your attention on the things that you can control versus what you can't. There's so many invaluable little nuggets of wisdom that they expressed. And as I started adopting their philosophy, which is very practical and, and putting it to use, and I exited that relationship. I probably spent a good five years of just working on myself and healing myself. And I navigated the Los Angeles dating game, which is very difficult. I mean, I think <laughs> it's probably difficult anywhere, but Los Angeles is a unique kind of beast. Maybe it's because there's so many different options and that can leave you easily discontented with people and having unreasonable expectations, you know, like they need to be perfect or the myth of the spark where it's like you're trying to find that initial um, spark with a person, which can actually be, it can really mess you up if you're not careful because you could find the spark with a narcissist and that Mm. would not go so well. They're very charming. But eventually I ended up meeting my, my wife and I can say that hands down my relationship with her has been by far the healthiest relationship. And, you know, sure there's like challenges and I would say the, you know, you talk about, at least from a, a biblical standpoint, this society of like the two becoming one. And I think it's beautiful and it's, it's great, but also it can be, it can be kind of painful. Like we think of it in terms of like breaking up and it's like, Oh goodness, like I'm, I'm losing my other half, but 
there's also the process of coming together. And so, you know, you kind of like you, you work through it, but then you really get a chance to see what, what love is. And it's, it's, you know, there's the infatuation, the passion and intimacy and the good feelings and stuff. And those are great, but you also see other sides of love that are, you know, like the working through like shared difficulties and um, understanding each other better, like learning how to better deal with one another. And when you're married, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're like in the same, um, it's that, that binding contract, you know, that binding agreement. So it's not something that's easily broken. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, you, you're not liking your boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, even your fiance and you're just like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. Peace out. You, you have to, you have to go with it a little bit more. And it leads to some like really amazing experiences because, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I know that there's some outliers and exceptions to what I'm talking about, but, you know, for the ones that like really work on the relationship uh, and both parties are involved and both parties want to see everything succeed. It's incredible. Like you grow so much and nothing makes you self-reflect and, brings out all of the things in your character that you would rather avoid and not look at than than marriage you know i think those things can be avoided in in a you know like a regular relationship dating relationship but marriage just you know it, it makes you really like gosh i maybe i need to i i don't clean up as much or <laughs> yeah I, I need to like be more organized or I, I, I can be kind of selfish with these things. Like I'm just thinking about me and yeah, I need to be more conscious. You know, I need to express my love to my partner. Like, you know, cause you'll get stuck in rhythms and you know, those rhythms make you unconscious, but remembering like, wouldn't it be nice just to intentionally send a message today to my spouse and let them know, how amazing I think they are and all the wonderful things they do for me. Or when they're talking to you, actually listening. <laughs> yeah. The men but, laugh about that one because we can tell now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You, you, you give me the meat of it. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just get, you you roll into it, you know, it's it, yeah. and you don't really hear what's being said. Yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of wonderful things that you're saying in there. I was a huge advocate of stoicism too, and it kind of gets a bad rap of help becoming emotionless, but it's domesticating your emotions. And it's like, I feel all of these things, but I choose to hypnotize myself to the person that I want to be at the end of the day. Despite my fear, despite my insecurity, I am the man who loves this woman or the woman who loves this man. And I'm going to act in such a way that they're not going to flinch in the fact that I have these different feelings, right? And the profound shift of changing from you versus me problems to us versus problem. They yeah. say like we are a unit against the world in a sense. And people have such a difficulty hopping from what's like, no, but there's something that you're not making me feel good. It's like, okay, it's actually, here's an, a bid for intimacy that you can help, uh, you know, transition this problem. And it's us against the problem, not 
me versus you. Um, but that yeah. changes the game. It's like every opportunity becomes an opportunity to deepen the relationship. But exactly. Uh, this helps. Uh, I had to squeeze this in here somewhere, but I gave Marcus, my last guest, some power to ask you a question. And that was what positive role did fear play in the evolution of your experience with love? Mm. Great question. What positive influence did fear play in my evolution with love? So I like to say, I would rather be afraid of not being a man of courage. I would rather be afraid of, uh, yeah, just being a coward. I would, and kind of use it as a force of inspiration instead, because it's like, oh, fear is like the suppression of what if I'm not enough, but it's like, oh, what's, what if I could use that as a propelling force of like, but if I don't do these things, I absolutely won't convince myself that I'm the man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually really like valuable. Um, it's a very valuable thing there because we're, we're more likely to avoid pain than to pursue pleasure. Yep. Jordan Peterson actually talks about this a lot. The, the idea of um, putting something in front of you and putting something behind you. And Tony Robbins talks about that as well. You know, it's like, what are you trying to avoid and what are you trying to go for? It's much better than just what are you trying to avoid and just what are you trying to go for? Definitely. It's like, well, what if you don't get these things? Um, I think uh, Tony Robbins has this, uh, this kind of thing that you go through called the, it's the Dickerson, um, some kind of practice where you literally just spend time imagining what your life would be like if you don't pursue the goals if you just stay the same you know what's it like a year from now what's like five years from now what's like 10 years from now and it's kind of it's intense because you know it's like like i want you to really express the emotion people people are screaming and crying and stuff and everything and but it when you come out of it, you're like whoa like that was an intense emotionally charged experience but for myself i mean I think the the role the role that fear has played in my evolution of love or um is I was terrified of being abandoned, but I was also terrified of being alone. And that talk about attention right there, because that'll those you when I was talking about the the triad of depression, you know, there's three beliefs that kind of keep you stuck. Same thing. And, and the irony is I, I was alone because I was afraid of like being abandoned and yeah, it's just, it's, it's better to hope than to, than to not hope and to just like to buffer yourself against the, the disappointments of life, you know, and, and to, Temper your expectations so that you can be optimistic about the future, to be optimistic about relationships, to trust people, you know, even, even knowing that like there's the possibility that they could hurt you because more often than not, I, I, I truly believe that, you know, people, most people, they do mean well. You know, most people like they have good intentions or not trying to, you know, we, we all have our, our quirks, our intricacies. We have the things that we're working through. 
some people are much more self-aware than others. And, you know, I'd imagine that probably the people listening to this or watching this right now, there's, you know, some semblance of self-awareness so they can probably see this in other people. And that does such a great deal in helping you to find healthy relationships. And when I realized that, like how much my fear of abandonment and the fear of uh, being alone was controlling my life, I really just had to to push through it. Like I, I just had to take a chance. And it's like with anything, you know, it's like things, you don't like something because it's hard, but it, you would probably like it if you were good at it. You know, because if in, in by definition, if you're good at it, it's probably not so hard for you or it's only challenging enough to where it's, um, it's not, you know, creating a constant sense of disappointment. And so you just get better. But that's why Aristotle said that courage is the mother of all virtue. And if you think of virtue as human excellence, or excellence of character, competency, skillfulness. Like, it, you have to take courage into the unknown to master it and to put order to it and to become better. And the same thing goes with relationships. You know, people don't like relationships. Uh, like, it's because they lack the skillfulness to, to deal with them, to deal with all kinds of people. There's all kinds of people out there. There's... There's loving, sweet, generous, kind, compassionate, uh, virtuous human beings. And there's also some pretty rough ones. And as you get more skilled at recognizing who those are, you'll be able to navigate the landscape better. Surround yourself with healthier people. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, good question, Marcus. It, it provokes a, <laughs> such an expansive answer, right? Cause yeah. Like, yeah, just it calls so much out of you and you're like, okay, what's even worth striving towards? But then being torn between, um, you know, abandonment and being alone at the same time and like being caught in a limbo of no action whatsoever. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I, I'm alive. I'm not dying right now. And that feels a little bit better than rejection even, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, to shift that into a way, it's like, man, I got to go live, right? Yeah. I got to do something beyond that. But I would like to... Uh, now give you that power to give me whatever question you want to my next guest. Oh, whatever question I would say thinking that maybe a good question to ask, uh, <laughs> this is, this is, you know, put a person on the spot, but maybe we can induce a little bit of a trance in them. You know, I, I would ask them, you know, what's, what's preventing you from reaching the goal that's that's currently most important in your life. Game time. You'll see this with them. You know, watch. You'll see their you'll see their attention go from outward to inward. It's very yeah. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, I know my next oh, pff, all my guests are very capable, um, but they're very much people of servitude and pay it forward. But yeah, to have that uh that conscious conversation be like, yeah, I got these blocks too. And you know, you can't be helped until you can say those things, right? What, 
God forbid there's a listener who's like, oh, I can actually help you like bridge that gap. And then something really cool transpires because of the innate vulnerability that comes with a question like that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. I appreciate that. Well, wrapping this up because Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Uh, do you have any uh, offers and opportunities for people coming up here to yeah access your skills and get a taste of uh, yeah your skill set? Absolutely. So you can find me. I have a website. It's www.iamchrisgood, and that's g o o d e dot com. Uh, and all my social media handles are I am Chris Good. So you can find me, you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, TikTok, Lemonade, LinkedIn. <laughs> but uh, I have a bunch of, uh, I have some like free resources that can help you with breakup recovery, uh, you know, hypnosis recording, an ebook. But I also have a free one on one uh, clarity call. If you want to discuss like what it would look like to to work with me and you know, how I could help you to overcome the pain of a breakup and as quick as a single session, I know sometimes where people are like what? But I promise you, you're just a you're just a belief away from your life changing forever. You know, it's it's simply what we think. Some people think that death is something to be celebrated. You know, it's a transformation of life into something else and other people, they mourn it, you know, because it's a loss. So it all comes down to the way that you perceive and believe and I can help you with that. Absolutely. Rock solid, man. I appreciate you big time. And I just learned so much even being curious and having a cool conversation with you. So I hope, uh, yeah, I hope some people reach out and just give that a chance because God forbid love gets better because you have a conversation with the right guy, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Take care right. until next Thanks, time. Man. Appreciate yeah, thank you. you. Thanks for pumping color into the world, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you.